0: Fualsha, 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 Akhar and welcome to episode 111 of the Rebel Matters podcast. This week's guest on the show is my great friend Shiva Brock, who released her debut album this year. In April it's called Infinite Space and if you haven't already listened to it you should definitely go and check it out. Shiva and I also worked together on the Ackley Palestine project so we talked about that and we talked about Shiva's process for creating the album and loads of other stuff as well. This episode was recorded by the fireside while there was an absolute storm raging on the outside and it was a very special occasion for me to be able to sit down with such a close friend and have a chat on the podcast. So, to Shiva for coming onto the show and thanks very much to all of our supporters over on Patreon who have been keeping the Rebel Matters podcast on the road through thick and thin of If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, then you can head over to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters and see the various tiers of support. Anyway, I think as you're going to really enjoy this episode. I just finished listening back to it for the second time and I enjoyed listening back to it as much as I enjoyed being a part of the initial conversation. So here's episode 111 of the Rebel Matters podcast with Shiva Brock. welcome to the rebel mothers podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: this is an episode that has been a long time in the making probably the longest episode in the making of all of them because we've known each other for about five years now and i think i probably asked you to come on the podcast quite early on mm-hmm. in our friendship and that's an interesting timeline as well because since we got to know each other you have that was just before you started making an album yep. and the album has since been released this yep. April, Infinite Space, for anybody who hasn't already heard it, mm-hmm. and it's really great to be able to sit down now and have a chat on the podcast because I am very excited to ask you about the process of making the album mm-hmm. because of the fact that I've kind of been a an onlooker yep. of the process ever since it started, and I think that, um, well, as I said to you before, actually, I've kind of been an onlooker in that process and taken kind of lessons from the way that you were working and then applied them to my own line of work which is mm-hmm. quite different from yep. making a an album mm-hmm. and have found it very valuable so I think that people are going to also find it very valuable to get an insight, an insight into that process that you've gone through. Mm. So how do you make an album? <laughs>
1: There's many ways you can make it. Um, I guess we made it in a very particular way that was like led by the producer, Tyler Duncan. He's from Michigan. Um, he's got a really cool connection to Ireland in that he's no Irish background, but he used to come over here and compete in the Flacuoles when he was a teenager. And he won a couple of Ireland titles on the pipes and I think the Boweron. So Tyler has like a really interesting as an American uh, connection with Irish culture that goes back to you know, when he was like fifteen. And so we met I met Tyler, um he plays in a band called The Olam and I've been massive fans of theirs since their record came out. I think in their first album came out in twenty twelve and I was following them and then really lucky to get invited to go on tour with them um in twenty eighteen, shortly after I met you. And so on the last night of the tour, I had um, gotten to know Tyler pretty well over the very intensive three weeks that we played every venue all over the country. And on the last night I was like, would you have any interest in maybe producing a record for me? And he was like, yeah, let's talk. So um, I work really closely with um, Limerick man, Martin Atkinson, who is like my creative partner. I'm so lucky to have somebody like Martin, who's just so talented. And um, it just means that you're not doing stuff alone all the time, which is great. (laughs) It's like a good support. And so we kind of set about then trying to make the record happen. So we did a crowdfund in December of 2018. And then on Tyler's recommendation, he kind of suggested that he was like, you have a bunch of songs there that are really good that we will put into the pot to decide what what we'll put on the album. But he was like, but if you can, I would suggest maybe for the next four months just put yourself in a position where you're writing as much as you can, and at the end of those four months, if nothing comes, then nothing comes, and we have a bunch of songs that are great. But in his experience, he said that's like where the magic happens. So he was right because for f- um, half the album came from that kind of writing phase at the beginning of 2019. Now I knew I was gonna I was going to spend three months in his studio in Michigan from June until September, and so at that point, then. Tyler came over just before we went to the States. Tyler came to Ireland for 10 days of what we call pre-production. And so we 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 spent one entire day dedicated to each song that we were going to put on the album. So that was like the deciding process. What ones do we want to work on? And so the pre-production process involved, like, yeah, just a day with sitting with guitar and um, me and the piano, it's me and Martin and Tyler in the room. And we don't do like demos or anything. Tyler kind of has a there's no such thing as a demo. He has voice memos that you record and then you go into the studio and you record it and everything from that point on is potential to be used so there was no like kind of demoing anything so the nitty-gritty of pre-production is kind of like down to really working out like melody lines and really working out lyrics and maybe cutting down syllables and like how to how to like consolidate the song into what is the foundation of a song like what is the foundation of this song so was like certain techniques that he was using he used one like um i think that he mentioned that max martin the swedish producer uses he's like famous for like Backstreet boys and Katy perry and stuff and there's like this this technique that he uses that like all of the syllables on each line of the verses have to be the same throughout so the first line of verse one has to be the same syllabically and melodically as the first line of verse two and at the time i was like yeah but i love improvising with my voice like i like to kind of free flow and freestyle and Tara was like that's cool if you want to do that then great but let's find out what is the foundation of this first and the reason is like obviously for the listener that it's like it's making sense it's like the melody is sinking in for the listener as you're going through the song so I started to see the merit in these things and like was learning loads of, loads of cool little tricks for like writing I was still writing some of the tracks at that point when we were doing pre-production and so then in June of that year, uh, Martin and I flew to Ann Arbor and we spent three months in his studio. We lived with his parents like a mile down the road. They amazing. Jeff and Barb, they put us up and took us in and gave us a m- brilliant home away from home. And then we spent like six days a week working just eight hours a day, like on a clock kind of thing for most of the three months. By the end, then we were kind of like doing double shifts and trying to get stuff done when we knew we were like, we were ready to leave. But um, we had uh, two, two, um, two separate like band weekends where the band flew in from New York and we recorded two songs a day. So that was kind of the schedule. So the first, the first weekend we had three days with the band, two songs per day. And the process was basically arrive in the morning, have a really nice chilled breakfast, nobody's under pressure, go down into the studio whenever people have had their coffee and whatnot and sit on the couch in Tyler's studio and he would play... The memos that we made in Ireland, which just had uh, acoustic guitar, piano, and vocal, and we would discuss it. The musicians had never heard it before. They would like chart it out if they needed. We would discuss like what kick drum size to use. If there was any specific notes that anyone had for the song, that's when we would say it. But for the most part, it was like, okay, here's the vibe. This is maybe a reference track. Okay, now let's get in and do rehearsal takes. During the rehearsal takes, we would maybe spend, you know. 20 minutes or so like just running through stuff people getting a feel for things people being like yes that's the vibe or maybe try this or whatever it is and after that point then we would just push record and do like six takes of each song everything was done like live in the room at the time so I had an isolation booth for the vocals Lewis was on drums Lewis Cato was on drums in his isolation booth Martin Atkinson from Limerick he was on the keys in the room with Tyler in the control room and Joe Dart then on the bass also in the room So Tyler has like a line of sight to everyone in his studio from his desk. And we can hear him and he's got a talkback mic. And so, yeah, it was just a case of like rolling through it and doing it live in the room. So pretty much everything, the foundation of everything that's on the album is the band, that core band live. And then we layered up tons of stuff afterwards, whether it was like strings or percussion or whatnot. And so that was, they were the process for the band days. And then the idea that Tyler has is like, I think it's James Blake has has this kind of like let's throw paint and so what 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 how we did it was we just basically try and think of all the possible ideas that we could for a specific track and you just put them all down record them all everything and then you start to minimize and so we maybe we had mike Shimon from the Olam, he came in to do like three days of percussion and uh he recorded so many class things like he brought like a carload full of instruments that I'd never even seen before like it was amazing and he just like recorded whatever it was that he could think of and then after that we might have 10 percussion takes on a particular song but maybe only three of them actually made it onto the record onto that specific track so I guess it's like a balance of finding out like when when is when what is needed and when are things too much and like is something in the way of something else on the track so then after the three months in the studio, we went to remote work. So we were kind of working remotely before the pandemic hit. So that involved like Tyler screen sharing his um, studio software. And he would share his audio in real time. Martin was in Limerick, I was in Clare, Tyler was in Ann Arbor. And we would like work on the record like that together. It was like we were in the same room. And so, yeah, we basically did that for two years to, until it was, was finished. We added in strings arrangement, horns arrangements, then eventually got to mixing phase, mastering phase, and then it
0: was done. From the day that you asked Taylor to be a part of the album to the album being released, like, mm-hmm. three, more than three years, yep. w- what was it that motivated you to make an album and to make it in the way that you went about it? Well,
1: I guess I didn't know that that's how we were going to make it, because I'd never been in the studio before, ever. And I guess, uh, he's a record producer, so he plays with the album, and... Uh, but mostly he's a uh, producer and so what I've learned since is like his approach to um, my record is not how he does every record it's just how he felt that would be a good workflow for this particular excuse me if he felt that would be a good workflow for this particular album and so it was like so cool to have somebody like Tyler who in my opinion is just a total genius um, and have him like steer the ship and learn so much from him and You know, he was so supportive and shared in the vision of the record, which I guess was the the clarity on what it was was becoming clearer and clearer as we were going through the steps.
0: During that period, whenever you were writing the songs for four months before you went out to record, do you have any like memories of times when something just clicked and the song just like appeared from somewhere?
1: Yeah, I have a couple of them, and I think you hear people talk about that when you know, you once you get into the zone, they just start to flow, you know? And that, that's why a lot of people keep up writing all the time because they're just in that space where it's just coming to them. And so by the time that the end of those, um, the end of those couple of months came, it literally was like I was, the songs were just being written onto paper. It was like something in the subconscious was happening or something. The, you know, I see it like the songs, I'm just a, the, the songs are like coming through me. It's like I'm just the vehicle for them to come through. Like some sometimes the way I see it is like they're not even my songs. They're just com- they've come from like some other place. And I just, you know, was lucky enough to catch it at the time and to write it down. So there was one actually the last track on the record sale. Um I often would like take Airbnbs. I had housemates at the time and so often I would just take an Airbnb for for a weekend somewhere and try and finish some songs and I went to um, East Clare to like this really cool little one one room cabin in this like zen um, Buddhist garden run by this like hippie out there and he had just created a really cool space and I just got in I had the intention to finish like six other songs I was working on and when I got in I actually started to play something new and I just like kind of sat down for six hours and this thing I didn't even know what it was or what it was about the words were just coming onto the page and the the chords were just being played kind of over and over in a cycle it was kind of like this repetitive kind of cycle and kind of halfway through I was like oh my god this is like I think this is what what this song is about me dying you know it's about what happens when I die and so each of the verses um, even though this wasn't the intention this wasn't in my mind at all as I was writing this each of the verses contains a physical or spiritual part of me a piece of the universe and a figure in my life and it's like kind of how the songs are the how our lives like our energy just recycles onto the next thing and when I say me in it I kind of mean everyone you know
0: where did the song How to Change Your Mind come from?
1: yeah that was another one that um, I did a solo mushroom trip um, on A weekend actually everyone was gone from the house um, and I just did a really early Sunday morning like got up and like had a little Morning to myself and with the intention of writing and uh, I couldn't write actually I because I was on psychedelics and so actually the next morning How to Change Your Mind just came out it was another one that like just wrote down onto a piece of paper and like it was done
0: so the title of that song is borrowed from Mike Pollan's book Mm -hmm. of the same name and I've heard you talking about the some of your psychedelic experiences in other interviews how is that how has that been received so far when you talked about it
1: yeah i think I think well, I think people's um kind of perspective of psychedelics i mean people who have done them and kind of have been around them, you know they know the story, but often you you have an audience there who's never done it and maybe looks at psychedelics in this kind of negative way. But I do think that there's a lot of new, you know, people like Michael Poland who are making it more accessible, who are kinda like destigmatizing it. He's, you know, he had the book, How to Change Your Mind, which is where I was inspired to write the song. I took the title. But now since then, like this summer he had uh the Netflix series, the four part Netflix series. And I think it's so cool that Netflix, like the biggest streaming platform for like watching things, has A four part series about psychedelics where they have like you know authorities on this people who are doing research into it and telling you that like for people who have ptsd or people who are suffering from depression or anxiety like these things can help you and even though i my experiences with them were not in a kind of a medical setting you know with somebody who is like doing any kind of controlled therapy or anything like that i definitely believe that the experiences i've had with them have helped me to to kind of overcome certain traumas that I've had growing up and have definitely made me more grounded in my life today.
0: And you sent the song to Michael Pollan?
1: I did, yeah. I sent it to his agent or somebody and then kind of not expecting, I was like, hey, I wrote the song, I took his title, if you wouldn't mind sending it along. And he emailed me back, actually, and said he was, um, he was honoured to have been part of the inspiration for it.
0: Do you have any other standout moments from that writing process?
1: Um, some of the... Yeah, it was it was an interesting one cuz I guess half the songs were you know pre-existing songs that I'd had but we definitely w- reworked them. So it was cool for me to actually know that like just because you've written a song it doesn't mean that it's finished, you know, there's always I think I heard Paul McCartney talking about that years ago like you know, it's give it that extra 20% and you can make it really good, you know. And I guess I had never I just like would write a song and that would be it whereas n- this this kind of process told me you can apply certain techniques and certain ways of looking at things and, you know, it changes the song totally. So now I'm looking forward to the next creative phase because now that I have all these techniques in my back pocket, I probably will approach songwriting in a really different way and it will be more efficient.
0: One of the things I think that uh, inspired me whenever I was watching you make the album is that it seemed like you were kind of creating this very creative space to work in. To get rid of any things that might block you from like expressing your creativity in a way mm-hmm. that that you wanted to, and then also going into like minute detail mm. on on making something kind of refined in the way that you wanted it to be. Yeah. In the end, how was that going into that kind of creative bubble for such a long period of time?
1: Yeah. I again, I don't think I anticipated that that was going to be the case, but. Um, it was, an extremely ex- export, um, it was an extremely supportive environment. I was very lucky to have Tyler and Martin, who both shared in the artistic vision of whatever this was going to be, which became Infinite Space. And also, I think it was it's a full-on storm outside. Wow, that is windy.
0: Um, We're sitting by the fire, by the way. We are. And there is a full-scale storm happening right outside um i think the other the
1: other side of the bubble i guess it was the the kind of core of it was intentionality so we really like examined things and figured out was this necessary and what is the intention behind it and you know we put in a bunch of stuff that then eventually had to get left behind because the intention wasn't there and so it from from the very beginning from the process of 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 maybe writing some of the new stuff to reworking some of the older stuff to being in the studio, to adding new layers. Every step of the way, it was like intentionality was was guiding us.
0: How did the process of making the album, doing it the way that you went about doing it and releasing it independently, how does that sit in the greater scheme of things with mm-hmm. the music industry in Ireland?
1: Yeah, I'm maybe I don't really know either because I'm not really in that industry world, you know. I'm like uh, pretty much outside of it um, by choice, you know. And it would be, it's obviously a very different thing when you have. It's really the industry is cultivating a music business out of artists, and so um, it's a very different thing when you have people involved, and you know labels want to tell you to change what you're doing and down to like changing how you're approaching a song and how you're recording a song because necessarily they don't think it's going to hit radio and at the end of the day, these people want radio hits. So (coughs) that was never in my mind at any point. I never really wanted to go down that realm of getting involved in a way that was going to like smother me in any way creatively. But on the other hand, I also have been really lucky to have been allowed the time and like through, for example, having, you know, running the Kickstarter and crowdfunding to help with the cost of making the album, like that's a huge help when, you know, you it's a very expensive thing to make a record.
0: It has felt like you've stayed true to yourself and done the album and stuff in a way that you believed in, which is Mm -hmm. another one of the things that really like inspired me about the, the journey that you've been on. But how do you balance that up with the fact that okay, you're not making a product solely from a business perspective just to get a really hit and just to make money. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you do have to pay for mm. the production of the album, the making of the vinyl and all mm-hmm. of the other costs that are associated with it. So how do you balance those two things?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, Martin is an amazing creative partner. So it's obviously brilliant to have somebody on board who can kind of share in the joy of the process but also to share in the scary parts of the process where you don't know how you're going to do it and we started out with nothing like we started to make this project we made the decision to go and make this record with uh, zero and then we made it happen and uh, of course uh, stretching the the like zero money zero money and stretching the entire making of the record over three years obviously helps because we were able to do things that you know basically worked for free and put every penny that we got back into this record, and um it's a tough one to balance, but it's also like we're very focused on just making really good music, and it's never about it's never about like m- the money at the end of the day for us. we're just like so thrilled that we got to make this record, you know
0: I remember f- the first year of Ackley like which was two thousand and thirteen, and I had this idea in my head about setting up the gym and the way that it was going to run and the type of training that we were going to be doing and the approach that we were going to take to like the delivery of what we do and kind of went into it like in a similar way that you did like didn't really saved up a little bit of money from just training people and saving the money and I sold my car and then bought whatever equipment we needed to get off the ground and started it but I didn't have a clue about like the business side of things mm. And like after the first year We were nearly closed down again Because of a, fu- a, a couple of oversights that I made mm-hmm. That w- I suppose if I hadn't known everything at the start I mightn't have gone into it in the first place Because it might have been a more wow. daunting task yeah. But it, it did realise after the first year That I'd have to ba- Even though I'm not going down The corporate kind of gym uh, Route of Um Basically, selling stuff on the back of like magnifying people's vulnerabilities and then mm-hmm. getting them in the door, which is the which is the more common way f- it's done in the, in the kind of fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I needed to like know how to balance the books and yeah. kind of know the rules of the game. Which it
1: you've probably made a model that works for you.
0: Well, we've been going for ten years now, yeah. so it, I, I guess we have got to the place where it, it is working. But it was n- not the standard way of doing it. I no. had to figure out a different way of doing it.
1: But that's what's so cool about this, is that you don't have to conform. And you don't have to do it the way like you're describing that plays on people's vulnerabilities. You don't have to open a gym that does that. And you don't have to make a record that somebody's standing over you and telling you what to do. And it can be like a more difficult path, for sure. But M- Martin and I have developed like our business model that works. and. It seems to be working and the record's out so this is early days like the process of making it took three years but like we're we're like at the infancy of our actual like you know business together and like we're really happy with how we're doing things and you know we're touring and we're playing abroad and we're um we're showcasing at folk alliance in in kansas next february which is going to be amazing and i think it's definitely we're both aware that it's a slow burn you know, this type of music and this type of release, not having somebody out there in the industry fighting our corner, i.e. like a manager or a label, it's a slow burn. Like, it's 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 taking a little longer for pe- for it to get to people. But what we do know since the release in April is that when people are hearing it, they are really connecting with it. And they, you know, a lot of people are taking the time to contact me and tell me that. And it's like, yeah, it's really amazing to hear that.
0: And. Despite the difficulties of funding the album independently and being dependent on the crowdfunder, mm-hmm. which is a whole project in itself, organising something like that, but it is like an endorsement from a really like generous and supportive group of people mm-hmm. that have decided that they they were going to back the project from the beginning before the, before even yeah. went into the studio.
1: Yeah, totally. And that was such a trusting thing for them all to do because. I had never been in the studio before. Anything I had released was all like live versions of things. And so, I mean, I, de- I definitely didn't know what it was going to turn into when I went into it. And we, I think our, our Kickstarter delivery time was like um, was like December 2019 and the record actually came out April 2022. But, you know, there was a pandemic and everything in the middle of it. But I, I do think, even pandemic side, I do think the process was going to take, you know, almost as long as that anyway, with just the way that we worked, we were like given this like freedom to um, be very slow and intentional about it and also explore an avenue, spend a long time exploring an avenue and then and then being like, this isn't working, we need to go back to the drawing board here. And, you know, so grateful that that is the way Tyler works. And it's not like a situation where it's like, hey, we're going into the studio, you're on the clock and you've got three weeks to finish this. And you have a label on top of you saying, "No, don't do that. Do this. Do the other way." Like it's, it's a, it's a way more freeing way to do things.
0: I remember at the start of the gym, after going around the cycle of like trying to get things set up and budgeting and having things on a time frame. After I think maybe the second year, I remember thinking, whatever my time frame and my budget is, it's going to be double the budget and double the time. Mm starting something like this I guess we're just inclined to be more optimistic yeah totally
1: totally yeah I would definitely approach it in a totally different way
0: the next time but the crowdfunding model like there seems to be some really cool things happening with with crowdfunding in general and it's probably one of the benefits of how like accessible we are to each other via the internet and stuff these days but when you look at like Harrison Gardner And Common Knowledge And mm. the work that they're doing yep. Which is really like um, They've had a crowdfunder On the go Which they hit their target Last week Yeah they did To open up their Like their kind of build School headquarters yeah. Which has been Really interesting to see How people haven't been getting behind projects like that.
1: Yeah. And it's, I just, it's, it's available for anyone to do. And like, you know, crowdfunds they're a bit of a melt. Like I'm not going to lie, like having to actually manage it and you're on a deadline of 30 days or whatever you've set yourself and you're trying to get this money in. And there's so many ups and downs to like, oh, we got loads of money in the last few days. And then there's like no donations for like five days and you're like freaking out. And of course with crowdfunds, funds, um, if you don't hit the target, well, with the platform we used Kickstarter if you don't hit the target nobody gets charged and you don't get the money so you have to hit that target in those 30 days and so um but it's it's really really cool to be able to reach people directly and you know anyone can do it you can do it for a small amount of money or a large amount of money if you're starting out and you want to make your first EP if you're like making your second album even if you just want to use it to pay for a portion of the cost of making a record Like if you want to pay For the mixing And the mastering of it You just do a crowdfund It's really 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 cool
0: Dick, The podcast has been supported By Patreon over the last Number of years mm. Which has been like, Such a good thing It really has helped To keep the podcast On the r- on the road Like mm. helping to cover The cost of Like the subscriptions And mm. going places and meeting people And the mm-hmm. time it takes to, to make the podcast episodes And stuff like that But it's been really nice Connecting with the Patrons mm. As well And the other Major, I guess fundraising thing that we both have been involved in recently has been the GoFundMe campaign for Active Palestine yep. which you've been involved in since like February this year and like my sense of it is like you, d- you would never get into doing a crowdfunding thing for the money mm. like it's not like the primary thing has to be the project yeah, or totally. whatever it is that you're producing and the most important thing from my perspective is that like with the experience of the podcast or with the experience of the Ackley Passdown project is it like you 100% believe in what you're doing Yeah, and it's that belief that you have in what you're doing is what other people pick up on and that's why ultimately people support it.
1: Yep, totally, yeah. Um, Yeah, I had a point there and I can't remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people did support the album, I guess. Yeah, Um,
1: they did and... It was it was cool. Nobody was like on our case, about like, where is the record? Even though like it was it took a lot a lot longer. But uh, I did see somebody commented on underneath something I posted the other day and was like, oh, are you making another album? I was like, "Um, not yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But what was it like having the album in your hand?
1: So cool. Yeah, really, really cool. I went to pick it up from uh, we we got it pressed in Optimal Media uh, in Germany, and there was a rep in uh, Dublin, All Right Media, and he looked after us. And it was really cool because um, there's like a massive shortage and major delays in vinyl production, like all over the world. So we were like getting quotes from companies, and they were like, "Oh yeah, well, twelve months is our lead time." And I was like, "What? We need this. We need this now. We can't wait another twelve months." And um, the guys at All Right in uh, Dublin looked after us really well, but we also used um, a company in Germany who um, we chose because of their sustainability um, kind of policy. And so the record, the actual vinyl record, is made from recycled vinyl, and there's no plastic on it whatsoever. So we didn't go with the shrink wrap. And the same with the same with the CD. The CD is obviously made from plastic because they're made from plastic, but um, we didn't go for the shrink wrap. And it was so cool to be able to know that like you don't have to do the you don't have to conform to the standard way of doing things like you can go with another op- option you can go with something that is better for you know what you're doing on the planet and when we went to pick when i went to pick it up i was like oh my god this is insane i was like loading boxes and boxes and boxes of vinyl and cd into the van and i was like
0: just ecstatic what about the artwork on the album
1: yeah that was uh, designed by sebby white sebastian white um he was really cool to work with we started working with him i'd say maybe early 2020 and I had like an idea of what the thing was going to be lots of like melting colors but like the idea was that the figure in it who is me had this kind of like peacefulness about about them and um he was really great to work with um and he was just back and forth sending ideas sending ideas and then it was so cool to get into the nitty-gritty of like the back cover and how the lyrics were going to work and getting all the credits together and like Yeah, all of the process, like they were really intense. Like each phase of the process was very intense, but it was like felt very natural because you were never overwhelmed by anything, any one thing at any time. It was like, this is just the step that we're working on right now. We don't need to think about moving on to the next thing until this is done.
0: Do you feel like you're kind of a different person now compared to the person who started the album?
1: Yeah, completely. Like the the person who started making that record is not the person I am today, which is, I mean, throw a pandemic into it and you've a totally different person again, you know? But yeah, three years is a is a long time. And I learned so much about being an artist and working in the studio and working with musicians and working with um, artwork people and like dealing with um, doing the vinyl. Like there's a lot that you learn, but I also learned a lot like personally about myself too.
0: Trying to reduce the environmental impact of the production of the album yep. and also the merch as well. Yep has been something that you've kind of taken a conscious decision to do. Mm -hmm. Why was that?
1: Um, I'm quite conscious of not making any more unnecessary things like we, especially when it comes to clothing, you know, so I think like the world has enough clothes and I at the beginning of 2020 went into a buying ban. I just said, I'm not going to buy anything else. And I was like literally years buying trainers. Like I was obsessed with buying trainers for so long and would just see a new pair and see a new cool design and be like, oh my God, and it was like nothing for me to like drop 100 or 150 quid on a pair of ren- runners. And like these things were just like collecting dust on my shelf, like there's no way you have enough places to go to wear that many pairs of runners like, and I was I was like cycling through them so then I'd give some of them away or give them charity and then keep replacing new new ones. And then at the beginning of 2020, I was like, I'm gonna try a year of not buying anything and i basically have been on that buzz since like i just buy if i need something it'll be secondhand or whatever but um when it came to the merch yeah i tried martin and i talked for a long time about how we were going to approach it and um we originally made what we were calling a salvaged tea instead of a new t-shirt so we put a call out on social media and said If anyone has an unused box of t-shirts, any color will do, plain, we will buy them from you and we will get them screen printed. And that way, it's not like we've purchased new items. So um, we got some t-shirts and then we ran out and we use um, a company, well, Execute Exist, uh, a friend of ours, Greg Hall, he screen prints all the t-shirts by hand in Limerick or in Clare using water-based inks. And Greg is really cool. Like I went to see his setup and like each t-shirt takes quite a while to do like he puts a lot of intention and thought into it and so we we then eventually picked um, a company that make good quality t-shirts and they're transparent about who they work with and where they get their materials but I would still love to go back to the salvaged tea idea so if anyone listening today has a box of unused plain white t-shirts, white whatever colour, it doesn't have to be white um, please contact me and I will buy them from you
0: Why did you get involved then in Ackley Palestine, which was in around February this year?
1: Yeah, um, well, I, as kind of you described earlier, kind of like being like along the journey of me making the record kind of as my friend, it was like I felt the same way about like your work with Ackley Palestine. So I was kind of like hearing from the minute I met you actually, because you, I think that summer that we met in 2018, we met at Body and Soul and then you went to Palestine that summer.
0: I actually went to Palestine for the second time Mm -hmm. the day after you were playing in Cypress Avenue with Olam.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. Because I wasn't
0: going to go. You were you want to come down to the gig? I was like, I'm packing my bags here, and it was like just shit everywhere all over my bedroom, and I was thinking like, how am I going to get this stuff into this backpack? And I was like doing it, and then you were like, oh, I'll put you on the door anyway. If you want to come down, just come down. And halfway through, I was like. Screw this And I just went down
1: And you came for a plate, yeah. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> That was a nice uh, Funny situation. actually I
0: actually met um, Someone who became A really good friend of mine Then Cahill nice. At that gig Who was at the gig By himself wow. As well And he came over to me And he was like uh, Are you Hanla In Irish And I was like, Yeah And he was like I was going to call Into the gym To you tomorrow uh, I was like um, Yeah I just moved to Cork And really? I wanted to Come and meet you And I said, like, Well it's good that we met now Because I'm going to Palestine tomorrow Nice And then we became Close friends after that Which That's was cool. funny yeah so that was the second time I was going
1: yep and so I'd obviously like been hearing about your trips over back and forth and then heard about the kind of like idea that you had to start the gym and had seen your first trip that you did with the crew over there in 2020 and had been following the whole thing and then you know we would often chat about actually Palestine and then you rang and you mentioned something about going over and that you do f- your flight's booked and you were like there's a role there if you're interested and I was like oh cool let's let me have a think about that yep I'll do it so um, I mean I would like welcome any opportunity to get involved with a project with you because you know you do things really well and I think you really believe in what you're doing and everyone can see that and so it was kind of a no brainer
0: it's been really good having you on board, looking mm. after the fundraising and looking mm-hmm. after the social media when we were there. And even just being able to talk about things and float ideas yeah. over the last while has been... It's such a class thing to be able to do with one of your yeah. restaurants.
1: Yeah, totally. So Hopefully we'll go again next year. Yep, I hope so. Yep. What was
0: it like going out there for the first time?
1: Going out for the first time, it was um, like the most amazing experience and also the most horrific experience that I've had. I really didn't know what to expect. And obviously I had asked you questions about how things operate, getting in and out, what life is like, where we were going to be staying, you know, day-to-day things. But like, it can't prepare you for the actual experience of being over there. And it's it was such a weird thing because it was like, we're going over to work in, um, you know, a refugee camp in a community center and I was like okay I don't I don't I've never been to a refugee camp before I don't know what that's like what is life like in a refugee camp like do they have like shops can you go buy groceries like what are we going to be eating like who you know are we staying there is it you know what's the story and it, it was also like so normal as well like it's like a weird thing to see people living in this scenario where they're living under occupation but life is so normal for them you know and one of the things, one of my favorite days was actually, um, you guys all went for a hike, I think, and I stayed back in the center, and Fridays is their like music class day. So all the kids were in, and they were all going in and out to their music teachers to get their lessons. But in the meantime, I was just hanging out with them in the, in one of the library rooms. And so we were just chatting, and like I was getting to know them all, and they were showing me loads of cool Palestinian music, and teaching me Palestinian songs on the Oud, and, I was like showing them little bits on the guitar. It was like very informal. It wasn't like music classes or anything. And then like around 11 or 12, um a demonstration happened outside. It started outside and the gates of the wall opened and um big tanks came down and the Israeli army arrived down and they just r- it was the third time we had been tear-gassed that week. And the kids' re- reaction was actually like they didn't. It was. It was. It's so normal for them to see this happening. They the event for them was like my reaction, like how horrified I was at this scenario, and they thought that this was actually interesting to observe. They weren't even concerned with what was going on outside the shutters and the tear gas coming in. And yeah, it was so strange.
0: There was a lot of things happening in the camp that week, that first week when we were there this year. And outside of events in Palestine, you were actually releasing a <laughs> single when you were there which was an interesting day because the army had come in again and were attacking the camp. Yeah. And you were making a little video being like of here's out today but like more importantly, yeah, you check out what's happening here right now.
1: Yeah, it definitely put things into perspective for me. And I think that was like uh, there was definitely a, an integration, reintegration um much like when you do psychedelics and you need to reintegrate yourself into your reality again that happened like post um post coming home from pasta and i couldn't like make sense of like you know my regular life that i had been living here and my my things that i was prioritizing and things that i would decide you know were was something worthy of my time or my energy or my money or like my good time or like i couldn't i was just couldn't stop thinking about that this situation is happening like i'm back here in my life and they're still over there and they're still living under occupation. And that's just one part of the world that is like having an incredibly stressful time. And there's so much happening, climate issues and like other areas where, you know, there's conflict and, and occupation and it's it's kind of, yeah, I, d- it, it, I mean, you must have similar experiences when
0: you've been there and come back. The hardest one for me was the first uh, the first time i guess because being out there if you're there for a short period of time and you're going around meeting with different people and calling into different organizations and trying to take in what's going on like for the first time there's there isn't a lot of time to sit down and try and process what's happening that is done whenever you come home mm. and the first one or two times really i was coming back by myself it's a bit different when It was a little bit different whenever I had been there a few times and we were there together. Mm. And the time before that, there was a group of us who were friends that went out there together and had some time to talk things through in the yep. evening times and even had as a bit of a chance to talk to meet up and stuff whenever we were, we were home. Yeah,
1: we had those meetings, those debriefs every evening, which were like extremely important. Like even though you'd come home and after a day of whatever it was we were doing, and you'd be just really tired and need sleep and know that you were up early the next day. But it was really important that we did those every night because it kinda like allowed you a space to just
0: offload. That came in from the group. Yeah, that came from this from the place of me coming home the first mm. couple of times and having not had done that and mm. had it like it was kinda like build a up. lot of pressure build build it up until you get home. Yeah. And you're trying to release it, which can be difficult. So it was like it was like a kind of a pressure release valve. Yeah. So just keep that going. Yeah. Everyone definitely. had the chance to talk and stuff. Yeah. So that brought you back then. You came back in early March or something like mm-hmm. that from Palestine. And then the album was coming out in April. Yeah. So you're like straight in the next phase of that long-term project of the album.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just like that, overnight, it's released into the world. And it's like not yours anymore. And it's like you. Yeah, it was such a weird. It was like the bubble that we had been in me and Martin and Tyler in this bubble with various people like passing through the bubble involved in the project it was like it was like overnight it just went poof and it was like now it's done
0: how do you feel about it now
1: really good yeah I think I'm so incredibly proud of it and so proud that we did it the way we did and that you know so proud we had the people that we had who were willing to work on the record and come on and play on it and mix it and master it and um it was yeah it was i would i can't wait to do it again i've learned a lot but and i would probably approach certain things differently but i just really can't wait to do it again but i'm definitely taking a little break for now i'm like in a in a different phase where i'm like the foot's off the kind of intense creative phase right now and i'm in a live phase where we're touring and it kind of like slowly but surely it's kind of calling me to go back into that creative space again but I'm I'm definitely ready for a chill right now.
0: Do you feel like you're in the place now where you're kind of showing the world what you guys did?
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's another whole, you know, layer to it is trying to um put this album that took three years and had so many people involved onto a stage where five musicians are playing it. And so that was like another really, really fun part of the project which we actually started like a year before the release. We actually put the band together a year, like, say, summer of 2021, and put that band together, started rehearsals. We did a kind of a little preview tour this time last year, again, before the album was released, because we really just wanted it to be ready. Put together a band of amazing musicians, and now we're actually in the, like, kind of production phase of the live show, where we're working with a lighting engineer, and we're doing, like, some set design and stuff. So that's another fun part, too.
0: And there you have some new things coming down the pipeline as well from a from a work and kind of project perspective with the patreon and the yep. podcast
1: yeah're uh, Martin and I are putting together a patreon right now um because it's really difficult to be an independent artist but you know being like a community supported artist can make it viable for us to continue doing what we're doing so we're releasing a patreon and we feel like we have so much to be able to offer people specifically people who are like fans of the record who, you know, want to know, you know, what sound, how do we get that sound or what is happening under this particular part or like, what is that sound, you know, what is going on in a, in anything we can do like session breakdowns. We've so much footage. We basically have like a documentary's worth of footage from the actual recording in, in Michigan process. Um, we have like, alternate versions of songs that had to be chopped and uh didn't make it onto the record, like funky disco outros that didn't work. Um we've lo- all those things to kinda share so it's like it's kind of aimed at people who are like really interested in the record. But also um we're doing a podcast as well. It's called Infinite Space and Beyond and we'll be like exclusive to Patreon subscribers. And um that's another way for us to talk about the record. We're gonna have special guests who are involved in the record on and also for us to just like give people an insight into how we, it is we do what we do because we are just a two person independent operation and made a really big ambitious record over 3 years and i think we've a lot of kind of like knowledge and skills that we want to um you know share with people and as part of the men- as part of the Patreon by just having it off the ground we are going to start a mentoring program which is kind of like sideline to that so it's going to be like a free mentoring program to a young artist based in Ireland and um, they're gonna we're gonna mentor them like for I suppose over a year and we will just kind of figure out where they're at what it is they need you know I have a lot of skills specific skills to offer Martin has a whole other skill set to offer and then we're going to give them the opportunity to come on tour with us where they can do like paid gigs and play in venues all over the country and hone their live craft as well
0: so, how, how do people? Is that that hasn't been uh, like it hasn't been launched, launched yet? but
1: should be in the next week or so?
0: And just find it through the Patreon whenever that's up,
1: yep. Yeah, for true, it'll be up on all of my social media platforms. And if anyone thinks that maybe they're in that position or knows somebody in that kind of like younger artist position that would benefit from a mentoring, just send us a message
0: on Instagram. The community supported model that you guys are building, like, it really is dependent on that cycle of like the community. Giving you the initial support mm-hmm. through something like the, crowdfunder, you guys producing the album, and mm-hmm. then being able to, put something back into the community again, yeah. like not, which you've done with the album by itself, but you're kind of bringing it to the next level now yeah. with doing the podcast, giving people the behind the scenes look, and setting up this, mentorship. Like, what's the motivation behind doing the mentorship? Because like, you could
1: just not do it. Yeah. Well, I think you know I've done a lot of them. I worked with Music generation um a couple of years ago and worked a lot with like you know teenagers who were interested in songwriting um, and I've done quite a few mentorships i've I've actually been mentored by other people, and I have mentored people through various arts council funding and I just think it's so cool that you get to like sit with somebody and share the things that you've built up because all the information I have is information I got from other people or other sources. And so, I think it's really cool that you could offer somebody like, why would I keep it? You know, why wouldn't I just like share it out to whoever? And like when you when you can have access to an artist like that, it's so cool. And like one of the kind of pivotal moments for me was when Paul Brady invited me to come on tour in 2017. I had think I was I wasn't even home from Canada. I was living in Canada for a couple of years. I came home in 2016, and you know, less than a year later. Um, Paul invited me to come and tour with him. And there was like an 11-date tour in big venues all over Ireland that I had never played in. And he was like, yep, him and his manager, John, they were like, yeah, you get a half an hour slot. You're in on all of the gigs. Come along. And to have that like 11-date run, like it wasn't like I just got the local one, which normally happens when you are at that point in your career, you get the local support act or the support slot but to have that to be able to go all over the country and to like you know understand what it was like to be on a big stage in front of people who you know weren't there to listen to me but to get over those nerves and to practice and to f- you know come away from it and think wow I've gained so much from those 11 dates so that's kind of like an important part of the mentorship is that whoever it is will get the opportunity to come along with us wherever we're touring
0: do you still get nervous when you're going on stage
1: not really i It's all practice, you know, it's like if I hadn't I definitely after um, after I suppose the three years of making the album and then two years pandemic with no gigs in the middle of that, when it was time to start going back on the stage again, it was like I was I was in a tizzy like I didn't know how to sing. I was like, oh, my God, my voice. I don't know where those notes are coming from. And I was forgetting things and like my stamina wasn't there. But now that I've been doing it a couple of months, like regularly, it's like the work has we've done the work and it's actually really enjoyable to get up on stage and the band are all class and Martin is an amazing musical director and it's like
0: it's such an enjoyable seamless experience the practice definitely helps with things like I yeah. even feel a little bit out of practice doing this podcast oh. because I haven't done an interview in a while it doesn't <laughs> seem like it um, the outside of things to do with the album and music and what are the things that you love the most in life
1: hmm I love food, yeah, good food, really good food, and I enjoy very good wine too, and I love nature, and I really love, like, good connections with
0: people. How do you, uh, how do you experience nature? Like, what's your favorite way of experiencing it? Um,
1: I definitely have had some, um, like can't put into words experiences with nature like when using psychedelics which i think is like it they should be done only in like naturey environments for me anyway um and so i think it opens up your mind and you never see the you don't see the world the same again you know you kind of like always have that like little like i don't know is it like dust on you that like sparkly dust on you that allows you to like see things differently and i actually spent like i wasn't into nature as a kid or anything like that I grew up in a town and like it wasn't in my family to be like nature lovers or whatever and it was only in my late 20s that that kind of experience came to me and I'm so grateful that I had it and it was like this reawakening again and also my boyfriend is a biologist and so it's really fun to go on walks with him and not be very passive about the walk or what you're experiencing because you can just go out and have a really nice experience but then when you're actually learning stuff about your environment and especially uh, like we live in East Clare in a forest kind of very remote you've been there and um, there's so much outside your front door like we see pine martens all the time Um there's curlews up on the bog um there's foxes all over the place hedgehogs badgers like you see them all the time I I never lived in a place that I would see those you know
0: as an artist and an independent artist do you have like a separation between work and your creative process and the rest of your life or are they kind of merge together?
1: Mm. Um, no, they're oh, it's a hard. That's a really hard one because I can't even really describe it. Cause like I don't really, you know, when I'm in the middle of like the creative process uh writing, for example, that phase of it, like I try and get out of the way of that process as much as I can. So like sometimes if I'm writing, the song is the thing I'm always, no, sorry, not sometimes, always when I'm writing, it's the song is the thing that I'm trying to honor. And it's like, I have to stand out of the way of that. It's hearts, hard. It's like for years, I've had to like figure out how to honor the song and not necessarily to honor like what I want. So in that sense, it's like I do separate the two very much so and it's like you know when also when people contact me to tell me or after a gig and they're like oh I love the gig it was brilliant and I'm like oh you loved the work and you loved the the music that I created but like I'm a different thing to what your experience is it's not me you know what I mean I don't know if that makes sense
0: uh, is it the thing that you were talking about when you were in the Airbnb, and the song just kind of came through. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly it. It's like it's not me that's doing it. It's like this creative energy is everywhere, and I'm just the one sitting down, trying to capture it in some way. But it's everything is creative energy. So I am much like the much like the kind of premise of the record. It's like I am all of this, but I also I'm not all of this.
0: But it's different from having like a job where you clock in at nine o'clock and then clock out at five o'clock yeah and then you've got your actual life after five
1: yeah that is different it's, it's definitely hard especially in the like promo phase of the record it's very hard to like pull away from it and you can't really like push a stop button on it it's like you're promoting yourself and you're promoting as much as like I'm trying to just promote the work I have to really promote myself because I am the artist at the end of the day and it is difficult to like uh, turn off your computer and turn off your phone and not be doing the the promo thing all the time I'm like trying to get better at that like here's the work hours and here's my time off thing
0: I feel like we could sit here and talk for a long time Mm -hmm. and just kind of keep digging into little areas that we haven't really discussed even between ourselves before yeah it's been a very special chat and special kind of occasion for me anyway to be able to sit down the two of us and and have this conversation um and yeah, it's been a big privilege to be a part of the journey just as your friend. And I'm very proud of all the work that you've done.
1: Oh, Thank you. And it's been so amazing to have your support and friendship through this. And I couldn't have done it without you. Shiny. <laughs> <laughs>